What's up, everyone? This is Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. Welcome back to Founders Journal, my personal audio diary, where I give you, the business builder, the tools you need to think better in order to build better, whether that's building a business, a team, or a new product. Back by popular demand, today we have a guest journal for you, where I turn the mic over to a best-in-class builder with lessons to be learned from their story. And I am especially excited for today's guest. Harley Finkelstein is the president of Shopify, a $180 billion commerce platform powering the stores of entrepreneurs from mom-and-pop shops to Netflix's new merch store. Harley is an amazing entrepreneur and an awesome human being who I describe as a perpetual champion of entrepreneurship broadly and an optimist around the golden age that entrepreneurship is in today. Harley, I would love to hear more about your entrepreneurial story and uh, the lessons learned along the way. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. Where do you want to start here? I want to hear how you first got into entrepreneurship. When I was 13 years old, like you, because I think you and I have both had similar experience at 13 years old, I went to a lot of bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs when I was 13. Is that, was that that case for you? Sounds about right. Yeah. And one of the things about, I mean, forget the religious side of, of the bar mitzvah ceremony or the bat mitzvah ceremony, which is effectively when Jewish kids become adults, you know, quote unquote. One of the things that, that happened a lot was you, you'd have sort of a party around the bar mitzvah ceremony. And in most of these parties, there was a DJ there. And I always found these DJs to be so damn compelling. They were so interesting to me, not because of the artistic side of, of their music selection or their, or their, you know, their, their beats permitted mixing, but because they had the ability to take a sleepy crowd and within a matter of like minutes, turn it into this crazy party where people are like doing the conga line and there's, they put their ties around their heads and it's just, it completely changes the atmosphere. And I was fascinated by these DJs. I thought they were just the most interesting people in the world. I didn't really know them that well. I just saw what they were capable of. And so I decided I won't really want to be a DJ. And I ended up calling around a couple of DJ companies. I was living in Montreal at the time. I was, uh, I, I, I was, I was just by way of background, I was born and raised in Montreal. I moved to South Florida when I was about 14 years old. But before that, I was in, I was in Montreal. And so I called all these DJ companies and said, would you hire me? And they... Uh, very quickly and very politely said, no, no way. Uh, you don't know how to DJ. You're 13 years old. And I was persistent. I really wanted to do this thing. And so on a whim, I decided I would start my own DJ company and I would hire myself. And that's what I did. And my, my dad, uh, who has, has always been an incredible supporter of me uh, in my entrepreneurial ventures, we didn't have a lot of money, but he was very, you know, he offered a lot of moral support. He would make me these business cards, whatever silly business I was starting. And he made me a business card that said, you know, Harley Finkelstein, DJ. And after enough persistence and hustle, I ended up getting a few uh, parties. I started DJing bar mitzvahs and house parties and backyard barbecues. And that was really my first entry into entrepreneurship. The realization, as I sort of think about that story, is not necessarily about DJing per se. It's that entrepreneurship, it became clear to me that that was one of the best ways to solve any problem. A few years later, I moved back from South Florida to Montreal to go to McGill, and I needed to support myself. And I needed to uh, help my mom and two much younger sisters. My dad wasn't around anymore. And I needed to, to help uh, support the family. And once again, I used that tool called entrepreneurship. I started a little t-shirt business and I made t-shirts for universities all across Canada. 
And so when I think about entrepreneurship, and this is sort of where the Venn diagram of my own personal interests and my professional interests at Shopify really do totally overlap, which is that I think entrepreneurship is one of the greatest tools that humans have created to solve problems and to self-actualize. And uh, just to to connect it to Shopify for a second, so you had this little t-shirt business. How did that t-shirt business turn into you, you know, basically being at the helm of one of the largest companies in the world now that is empowering, you know, hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs? I spent most of my college years, my undergrad, selling t-shirts to universities. It was a very simple business model. It was a promotional t-shirt business. We made, you know, orientation packages, bookstore apparel, you know, faculty of science or faculty of commerce stuff. And it was a good business because the barrier to entry into was very, very small, but it wasn't a great business in, in, in terms of it didn't necessarily have a competitive advantage. And a mentor of mine ended up convincing me to go to law school after college. He happened to be a, a law school professor. And he's like, you should go to law school, but not to become a lawyer. He felt that law school would be like finishing school for me as an entrepreneur. And it would teach me to be more articulate and, and it would teach me how to write better and to think better and to negotiate and, and critical reason. And so I moved to uh, Ottawa, which is where he was teaching uh, law. And I didn't have any friends there. I had no family there whatsoever. Um, and so two things were happening when I, when I moved to Ottawa in 2005 to go to law school. First thing was my t-shirt business that I built in college previously, it required pretty consistent sales engagement. I needed to meet these student council treasurers or procurement officers in person as much as possible. If I didn't, because my product was fairly commoditized, they weren't going to give me the order. Part of the reason why I was getting all these orders in college was I was a college student making t-shirts for other college students. And so I had great empathy for, you know, how the t-shirt should look and when to deliver it and the screen printing processes. When I got to law school, I couldn't skip school or, or, or just not show up for class the way I did in college. Law school used more of an attendance-based Socratic method of evaluation, and so you actually have to show up at class. So the first problem was my teacher business was, was going to collapse, the wholesale business, selling to universities. But the second piece was I had no friends and had no family in Ottawa. I'd never even bid to Ottawa. It's the capital of Canada, but I just, I'd never been to the city. And so I began to ask around, hey, where do all the entrepreneurs hang out? And I, I started meeting up with these really great founders. And one of the founders that I ended up becoming friends with was Toby. And Toby at the time was just transitioning from selling snowboards on the internet, which was a good idea, to actually focusing on the software that he had written to sell those snowboards, which was a great idea. And that turned out to be Shopify. And so I met him. He's talking to me about how he, he's, he believes that more people want to use the software to sell their own products. And I decided that because of that first problem of, of my, my t-shirt business not scaling, that I actually would transition that business from being a wholesale promotional product business to a direct-to-consumer retail business. And I became one of Shopify's first merchants. I think it was store 126 or 136 or so. And you know, first 200 stores. And I sold t-shirts on Shopify throughout most of law school. When I finished school, I ended up moving to Toronto for about a year to practice law. Not because I wanted to be a lawyer, but really on the basis that when you, at least in Canada, to get called to the bar, you have to do what's called articles and it's a 10-month process. And I, 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 you have to work at a law firm to, to get called to the bar. And so I moved to Toronto. I worked at a law firm and I absolutely hated it. I mean, it was, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear in this show, but it was a fucking disaster. It was the opposite of entrepreneurship. It was, it was not a meritocracy. It was a legacy business. It was all about who you know and how long you've been there. And so this is 2008. And so I called Toby and I said, um, 
I have firsthand experienced the the opportunity that Shopify can provide, which is that I built an online t-shirt store sitting in tax law class, and I sold t-shirts all over the world. I would love to come and help you build this business and, and put that tool in the hands of more entrepreneurs. And uh, that was about 12 years ago. What what number employee were you when you joined? Uh, first, uh, I was the first non-engineer, but I think I was uh, I was the first tw- in the first 20 people that joined. Wow, it's wild. Uh, I want you to to share your thoughts on why not only is entrepreneurship such a massive unlock for society, but why you think we're in such a special time of entrepreneurship right now. But one thing I'm just really interested in is the law school experience. Like as you look back. Do you think that it was worth your time going to law school? Do you feel like you leverage any of the ways of thinking you were taught in law school in the work you do today? Do you think it was a waste of time? What What are your thoughts on that? I'll start with the, the, the law school part, and then I'll talk a bit about why I think right now we're sort of in this golden age of entrepreneurship. Law school taught me, at least, how to find solutions to problems. It didn't, didn't give me solutions, but it taught me how to go deep on something. One of the things that you have to do, um, at least in your first year of law school, with what they call L1, is you're given like 3,000 pages to read, and you have to pull out the one legal maxim, or the what they call the ratio desidenti, which is a legal term, uh, excuse me, a Latin term, which is like, what is the thing? What is the lesson that this particular piece of case law teaches you? And that ability to sift through tons and tons of content, but pull out the most important piece that can be applied to other anecdotes or stories or situations, that was really important. I wasn't a great writer. I went to a really great high school, a public high school in the United States called Spanish River. At the time, it was one of the best high schools in America. I didn't learn how to write very well at that school. When I went to college, went to McGill, I didn't learn how to write very well either. I mean, I was okay as a writer, but I was not nearly as well written as I needed to be. Law school taught me how to write. Law school had taught me how to write concisely, how to say the thing and say it in a way that was really compelling and was really obvious and how to be more articulate. That's what I got out of law school. I, I did a joint law MBA, so I also went to business school. And, you know, not to take anything away from, from business schools, but, but that was so much more pedagogical for me. It was mostly case study based. I just didn't get that much out of my MBA. I got a lot out of law school. In fact, when people ask me, uh, if they should go to law school, like as an entrepreneur, I often say the law school can be, if you, if you get out of it, you know, it can be the, uh, like finishing school to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think that is really important on the, on the entrepreneur sort of living in this golden age of entrepreneurship. I think the biggest reason is, is that the cost of failure is getting as close to zero as it's ever been. I think that's part of why you're seeing more people become entrepreneurs. Explain what you mean by that. Okay, so um, my grandfather immigrated to Canada from Hungary, from Eastern Europe in 1956. He's a Holocaust survivor, moves to Canada, doesn't speak the language, doesn't have any money, needs to survive, put food on the table. So he decides he would go sell eggs at a farmer's market. And he did that his entire life. It's a farmer's market in Montreal called the Jean Talon Farmer's Market. And that egg stand is actually still there today. My, my uncle runs it. When he did that, even though it's a very small business, we're not talking about anything overly complex, but he effectively had to mortgage his life. He had to take out a massive amount of debt at a very high interest rate. He had to remortgage his home. There was a lot of things that had to happen for him to be able to afford the business. And if it failed, he lost everything. His house, his credit, his ability to provide for his family. That is different now. I mean, I'm not trying to plug Shopify, but for $29 a month today, you can start a store on Shopify. And if it doesn't work, or it doesn't work to the level and to the to the scale that you want it to, you simply pivot, try something else. And that is 
a very new idea. You know, you think about a physical retail store. Let's say you decide that you want to completely change the physical retail store from one day to the next. You have to call in contractors and painters and designers and builders. And well, today, if you want to change the entire look of your online store, it's a matter of clicks, or maybe you decide to install a different theme. Maybe it's a free theme. That ability to pivot, to change, to explore new areas, new products. And if you fail, that it doesn't necessarily cost you your livelihood. That's a big part of why entrepreneurship right now is so compelling. And then the flip side of it is that you also now can reach a global audience from anywhere. Everybody's total addressable market is effectively global. And that wasn't possible even five years ago. I love that. Well, uh, so much to glean from both your story starting in the DJ business, ultimately to the t-shirt business, ultimately to a first 20 employee at Shopify the lessons you learned in law school um, and you know some of the lessons you didn't unfortunately learn uh, in business school. And then finally, why we sit on such an incredible foundation for entrepreneurship to boom like it never has before with tools like Shopify and so many other businesses. So now what we're going to do for the last few minutes is take questions uh, from the audience. So the first question that I have from a Morning Brew reader for Harley... How did you cultivate your entrepreneurial spirit and mindset? Any tips? I feel it's so daunting trying to start off on your own. And uh, this is from a reader, Michael Devine. I I think some people put entrepreneurship. So let's be clear. Small business, entrepreneurship, let's not glamorize it. I was was a dragon on on a season of Dragon's Den, which is the Canadian version of uh, Shark Tank. And I I think those are really interesting shows, TV shows, because it's entertaining and it it, it introduces people to to small businesses and, and pitching and all those really good things. But I think it does a really bad job of over glamorizing entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is difficult, full stop. However, one of the things that uh, has sort of helped me cultivate that mindset is that I realize that everything that I do, I can use an entrepreneurial lens towards. So for example, going to law school, I went to law school believing that the law school, the the actual university owed me $15,000 worth of value. And I used sort of that entrepreneurial mindset to take that value from the university. I'm paying them for something. The content is what I'm paying for. They have to give it to me. And I tried to be entrepreneurial, but the way I approach law school, which meant that I didn't care about doing well on exams because I wasn't trying to get a job at a big law firm. All I was trying to do is become the best entrepreneur possible given the information that they were providing to me with those professors and that, that curriculum. I think that this idea of the entrepreneurial kind of mindset can be cultivated simply by using that approach towards everything. And even the way that I, I approach you know, parenting, I try to do that in an entrepreneurial way. I don't mean that you know starting a lemonade set with my daughter, although I like to do that as well, but even trying to find ways to be really really resourceful in everything that I do. And to do a lot with a little, I think you can apply that to pretty much everything in the world. And I don't think it should be precious. I think people make small business creation a little bit too precious. I don't, again, it's not easy, but if you start something and it doesn't work, that's okay. I think one of the best ways to cultivate that mindset is to surround yourself with other people that are also trying to cultivate that mindset. And like I said, throughout my entire life, I moved around as a kid uh, considerably the way that I always found my tribe was figure out where the entrepreneurs hung out and, and, and spend time there with them. They are going to help you cultivate that. I love that. So that was entrepreneurial mindset and spirit. The, the other part of this, which is another uh, reader question, is scaling your, the, your way of thinking as an entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is you started with a DJ business, 
Then you went to a t-shirt business. Then you were in the first 20 employees at Shopify. Something even I'm interested in as a founder and an entrepreneur is like, how different is your way of thinking? How much sharper do you have to be at your complexity of thinking now that you're operating a business with thousands of employees, a publicly traded company, like so many more moving parts. How did you scale your way of thinking as the business just took on a completely different life than you could have ever expected? Apply that same philosophy. Before Lindsay and I, my wife and I got married, I called a bunch of people that I thought had really great relationships with their spouses. Before I had Bailey, our oldest daughter, who's five years old, I called people that I knew were great parents, had great uh, relationships with their children, and I really admired them. Before Shopify went public, I called you know the people that I'd seen just take their companies public over the past couple of years or 30 years ago, and I said, what are some of the things that you wish you would have known at the time that, that maybe you can share with me now? I think there is a way to surround yourself with people at every stage of your career who have been there, done that. And and by the way, that gets easier over time. It's easier for me to contact people now to say, you know, I'm we're about to get to 10,000 employees. Talk to me what a how it is to run a 10,000 person company. That's the first piece. The second piece is I believe that my responsibility, the onus is on me, not Shopify. I hardly, I have to requalify for my job every single year. And to requalify to be the president of Shopify means that my personal growth has to be disproportionate to Shopify's growth. Shopify is growing really fast, really big, really quickly. For me to grow faster than Shopify, I need to be able to acquire new skills, have new mentors, advisors in my life, be able to get really, really comfortable with being uncomfortable about the things that I'm going to embark on. And if I can't do that, I don't deserve to be the president of Shopify next year. Love that. A uh, few more questions before we wrap things up. Next question is from Raul in the YouTube live chat is, where did you get the IT knowledge to be able to build a web platform as Shopify? Uh, I just finished my MBA and I want to start a business, but I have no idea on how to build such a cool platform. And honestly, speaking from my own experience, something that's really daunting for me is as a non-technical founder, thinking about the prospect of any time in the future, being a part of a more technical business, it's really daunting because I don't have these foundational knowledges around software, the internet, computers. How did you overcome that hurdle? So it's, uh, I remember one of my first weeks of Shopify, one of my first um, projects that I worked on was building the Shopify app store and, and building that ecosystem of, of third-party developers. And I remember thinking, look, uh, you know, I have a skill set. I'm, I'm the business person. I'm the commercial guy. Uh, I, I, I'll figure this out. And I actually, in my first few weeks, I was kicked in, in the face quite a few times because I couldn't answer the basic questions that developers wanted. You know, for example, they wanted to understand our API endpoints a little bit better. They wanted to understand API call limits. They wanted to understand, you know, how, what our API documentation looked like. And that made me very bad at my job. And so in order for me to, to qualify 11 or 12 years ago to actually lead the app store and the ecosystem part of the business, I actually had to figure, I had to understand the nomenclature. It didn't mean I needed to know how to code, but I had to know a sufficient, a requisite amount of information and, and knowledge and insight about that particular product area to speak intelligently about it. Otherwise, I would have no credibility. And so I immersed myself. I read the API docs. I tried to build an application. I spoke to developers about what sucks and what doesn't. I, I just, I, I immersed myself in it in the same way that I immersed myself in beats per minute and, you know, the Denon MK2 DJ decks when I was 13 years old. I wanted to be a DJ. I had to learn how to DJ. I wanted to run a technology company. I had to learn about technology. I, I, I don't necessarily, I don't think there's a silver bullet for that other than immersing yourself in it. 
Yeah. And I love, you know, it's not a crazy concept, but I think it's a great force function for doing the work. Uh, this idea that you have around, like you need to qualify for your job every year. And if you're working at a fast growing business, you have to be growing faster than that company. And I think it's actually such a good point, right? There's this, I don't know if you've heard the idea of the Peter principle, but like the Peter principle is basically everyone rises in a company to the point of inadequacy. And so it's like, it is very hard to not fall victim to the Peter principle. It is especially hard when you're a business that's growing exponentially like Shopify. So I think that distinction you create is amazing. Yeah, agreed. Um, one last question. Last question is from Tavion who says, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs in college? I started off like you selling t-shirts online. I had $30,000 in sales while in high school. I also drop shipped on Shopify. How should I think about my entrepreneurial experience while in college? I think the college is the best time to, to start a business. I think, I think you start five businesses. Um, your classmates are going to be your early adopters. Your professors can be your board of directors. You have free space because there's classrooms available everywhere. And if it doesn't work, who cares? Yeah. It, it's an amazing thing. I actually think more people should start businesses in college. Some of the best entrepreneurs I know, some of them didn't even finish college, started in that particular time. Also, there is very little, Craig Eisenberg, who I think you know as well, talks a lot about this, but like you want to be at the center of cultural zeitgeist, go to a college campus. Every trend that happens in the real world. Oh, it's starts, concentrated. It, it starts there, or at least it's concentrated there. It's an amazing place to start. In fact, um, yeah, I, I, I should have started 10 companies when I was in college, as opposed to two, one of which failed. It, it, it really is massive. And you know, you talked about this idea of cost of failure being lower than ever. I think cost of failure, even though it's really low, does increase as life goes on, as you have more obligations. Yeah, more obligations. You have a mortgage to pay. Yeah, exactly. Have exactly. In college, yeah. it is as low as it can get. Totally. Uh, yeah. your, your worst case scenario is just <laughs> maybe studying a little bit more you, for the class. The class. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and look, Austin and I, we started Morning Brew while in college. And we say to this day that like, if we had founded this after college while having to balance it with finance jobs where we're being no paid well, it wouldn't have happened. No way. So uh, totally agree. Well, that is the end of this Founders Journal Live. Thank you so much to Morning Brew readers for continuing to share the brand and tell your friends, family, and colleagues about it. And Harley, thank you so much for joining the show uh, and continue to be just um, amazed by the work you're doing at Shopify and also being a champion of entrepreneurship. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate everyone. Thanks uh, to the Morning Brew community. I'm, I'm grateful that you invited me here. Thanks so much, everyone. Take it easy. Have a good day. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.